Hello, my lovely ones, and welcome to Mumming with Magli, the podcast for any mum who has absolutely no idea what the fuck she's doing. I'm Magli, your host, and I can confirm I have no idea what I'm doing. Join me every week as I try and tackle this parenting business, the ups and downs, and the many trials and tribulations. Other moms will also join us and share their story. Let's open up the conversation around the hardships of motherhood and all the pressure that comes with it. Hopefully, it'll make us all feel less alone in feeling lost and completely winging it. I know I am. Enjoy, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hi, guys. Welcome back onto the podcast. Magli here, and I have the wonderful Lauren with me. Um, Lauren, I was actually going to intro you as like an influencer, but would you consider yourself an influencer? How do you describe yourself and what you do? Oh my God, that's a hard question. I wouldn't say I'm an influencer, but I think I have influence. But really, I just feel like I share my life and happy for how people want to receive it um okay. but yeah I don't I don't sort of like work with many brands or anything like most influencers do so yeah I'm not really sure what to describe myself in those terms I kind of just do a bit of like everything so normally I have mums on the podcast sharing their motherhood journey but yeah. you're not a mum however you did try and get pregnant talk me and talk to us about that journey did you decide to try you felt ready and then you know you'll tell us about the journey or yeah how was that for you um that is complex and it's kind of kind of come around full circle now so yeah, I got married four years ago to my wonderful husband. I think naturally we started trying about a year into our marriage. Um, I did go to a naturopath just to make sure like my levels are good. Um, and, and they wasn't really, I think I was a vegan for a long time and it did have a negative impact on my body. Um, so I worked closely with a naturopath to change my diet and take some supplements and stuff to bring myself to a, where a level where she basically said like if I got pregnant then it wouldn't have lasted 12 like past the 12 week mark like my body wow. just didn't have enough um nutrients to carry a pregnancy so spent about a year rebuilding my body and everything was all good and she was like you're good to go now like it would be great if you could fall pregnant now and then kind of another 12 months goes by and we weren't pregnant. And that was when she was like, okay, there, there must be like something more going on now because everything is good with you. And we kind of put things on hold then because I guess it does get really heartbreaking like mm. every month. I think I'm so aware of my body. Like I know when I'm ovulating, I know when my period's coming, like, to the T so I knew that it wasn't anything that I was doing like I wasn't not having sex at the right time so it kind of got a bit stressful and I just said you know what just let's just leave it uh for the moment and also that was probably like mid or towards the end of COVID where the world was just crazy as we all know so we kind of took a step back and was like, maybe it's not the right time to bring a child into the world anyway for us. Then the world opened up again and we, I got to go back to home, see my family, like travel, do all of these things that, you know, if I was pregnant, it still would have been fine. Um, but it was easier to do a lot of those things, mm -hmm. um, not pregnant and I guess not being a mum. So in the meantime, during doing all of that, we weren't not trying. We were still just having very regular sex, definitely through my fertile window and definitely finishing inside me. So, <laughs> yeah, so I feel like the last sort of five or six months, we've kind of said, actually, like, yeah, now we, we do want to start get the ball rolling with really trying again. So then I went for a final test. Uh, husband got his sperm checked and that was all good. My doctors also checked my hormone levels again. Everything was great. So they sent me for a tube test to okay. see if my tubes were clear because uh, we were thinking maybe that was the final straw. And my tubes were clear, but they did find a polyp and a fibroid in the middle of my uterus. So that was obviously an issue because an egg isn't going to implant when something else is already uh, implanted there. They also found heaps of endometriosis. So the doctor sent me for surgery for that, which I'm just recovering from now. Um, so I'm two weeks post endo surgery and I'm feeling really good now. So now is, I guess, 
our chance to see if it happens for us naturally. I don't think that I would go down the IVF path. Like we kind of had a really big discussion about that. It's just not something that I personally want to go through. Like salute all of the women that do go through that. I think it is by the sounds of it because I have done like quite a bit of research we sat down and watched some YouTube videos together of people's like genuine experiences of egg freezing and IVF and sort of looked at uh, very real vlogs of women, positive and negative experiences and kind of made that decision that like, I don't think that I'm willing to go through that. So now, yeah, we're just going to see if it happens naturally. So maybe we'll talk in six months time and I'll have a and I'll have a different answer. But yeah, we'll just see. But we're happy to leave it up to the universe and trust yeah. whatever's meant for us. For people who aren't well versed in pregnancy and contraindications and stuff like that, um, can you explain endometriosis for us? Uh, I'll do my best. So it's as far as I know, it's scars and lesions that grow and form around the abdomen area. Before I went through my surgery I assumed that it was only like to do with the uterus but actually it can grow like in your whole abdomen so when they went in to take mine out it was actually on my bladder on my bowels all around my uterus my ovaries like it was just everywhere and for me uh, it was stage three so there's four stages one being the least yeah yeah they they use like a different word there like I know that it doesn't the lower stage can still cause lots of symptoms for some women so I didn't really have any symptoms but stage three and four I think they're more but yeah the severity basically but the good news bad slash good news is that the worse the stage is the worse it does affect your fertility so that now that it's all gone the post-surgery success rate for pregnancy is much higher apparently than if it was stage one and stage two it doesn't really affect the fertility so I guess it's better as an answer for my fertility journey that it was stage three because hopefully that will have a more successful result. But yeah, it's basically just scars and lesions all around your stomach. They don't, no one really knows at the moment what causes it. And so many women have it, like apparently one in seven, but it's probably more than that because like myself, I wasn't even searching for it. I'm sure there's many women out there who also are in that same position of me and not actually having such severe symptoms like some women unfortunately Mm -hmm. suffer. Yeah, it's a pretty nasty thing for for women that we have to go through. Yeah, I know that your brother has, well, two little ones now. Congratulations to him. Um, How has that been, I guess, struggling, for lack of a better word, with your fertility journey? And then in in a positive way also, but... Has it been a bit of a struggle for you mentally seeing your brother uh, bring two kids into the world and his girlfriend Shiv whilst, you know, you're sort of struggling with that journey? Yeah, I think at first, um, because they fell pregnant with Alfie uh, like years ago now, when we were at the start of our journey. Um, And I think it was when I, you know, believed that it was going to happen like really fast or whatever. So, and I think maybe it had been about three or four cycles for me of it it, like not happening. And then I kind of just, I knew that Shiv was pregnant. Like I couldn't even describe, I just had this feeling. And then my mom called me one day and she was like, oh, hey, how are you or whatever. And I was just like, Shiv's pregnant, isn't she? (laughs) And she was like, oh no, what makes you say that? And I was like, I, I, I just know you don't need to lie to me I think she was only about six weeks pregnant at the time and I cried I was happy for them but I really cried and I was like I like I wish that I was also sharing that news um so the first time that was definitely difficult and I think also at that time all my friends around me were falling pregnant too after the first or second try you know it was happening for them really easy so it definitely was difficult for me to experience for a while and I think there's definitely something in like you can be happy for other people whilst also being sad for yourself like I wasn't unhappy for them or anything and I was still super excited about their journey and I wanted to hear all about their pregnancy like and I wanted to share all their plans whatever they would share with me I was so excited to hear it 
Um, but I just kind of wished it was also me too at the time. Yeah, I think like four of my friends were pregnant and she felt pregnant too. And I was just like, oh, I'm, yeah, like, yeah. like my best friends as well. So it would have been so cool to all have children at the same time, mm-hmm. you know. But obviously being away from Alfie and now Dusty, that's the hardest thing for me is like actually being away from them, not really getting to see them grow up as such. Like I did get to spend a really good sort of eight weeks with Alfie just recently and he was just turned two. So it was a really nice age where he was like really interacted with me and could speak a bit and stuff like that. And it's so treasured. But I'm heading back there in six weeks, so I'll get to meet Dusty and see Alfie again. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, So set the scene for us. You are in Australia and your family is in the UK. How did that happen? How did it happen? (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's where I am. That is a crazy story. So I was living in the UK 2019 and my now husband just kind of slid in my DMs. (laughs) I wrote back to him and I was actually in a bit of a difficult situation in England back then so I just kind of didn't want to be there at all Um, but I you know sometimes not that easy to just pack up your life and then I was teaching on a, a retreat in Bali and James asked me like hey do you want to come over and train with me in Australia like since you're already halfway here because we've been chatting for a few months and I was like yeah definitely like I'll go so I flew over here and six weeks later we got married so then it was kind of easy to just pack up my life and and start again do you think that when you see um Alfie and Dusty and stuff does that make you want to have children even more and if it doesn't happen naturally how do you think that will be for you um, in order to accept? Because like you said, you don't think you will go down the IVF route and obviously your prerogative to change your mind. But if you feel, you know, some people feel called to be parents. Do you think you feel called to be a mum? Yeah, I think that like my whole life, this has also been like a bit of a roller coaster as well. Like my whole life, all I wanted to be was a mum. Uh, obviously, I had other goals and dreams and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like ultimately, all I saw myself was raising children. And then when we were facing the fertility issues, I had like a long, hard think to myself and asked myself lots of questions because obviously you do have to face that. Like, what if we don't have children? And I think it's not discussed. So I feel like when you're younger, growing up, everyone assumes that you just grow up, have a baby. There's not much more to it kind of thing. So I really had to sit with that and think to myself, like, what life would look like for me without children and I had this really like deep thought and conversation and I reflected on all the years that I like craved children and I realized that at at those times in my life it was because I didn't have the reciprocated love from my partner and then I sort of sat in my marriage now and I thought I genuinely have everything in terms of love that I've ever dreamed of with him. And he's like my best friend. We have so much fun together. And I just looked at my life ahead. Uh, And if I'd sat and did this with an ex-partner, like I genuinely kind of always thought I'd be a single mom. Like if I had them, if I had children with my exes, I didn't really even consider them as long-term partners. I just thought that maybe like we'd have a baby, eventually we'd split up, whatever, the kids would just be in my care. Like that's just Mm -hmm. how it, it felt for me. And then when I met James and realized how much like love you can share between someone when you have a really healthy relationship, that was more, that was more than enough of me. So I kind of made peace with the fact that like, oh, if I didn't have children, it's not like, I think before I would have been doing it, I don't know, I would have absolutely loved the children so much, like for sure. But like it, it kind of was, would have been filling a void, like this love that I just didn't get from someone else. And I knew I would create that with, within a mini me. But knowing that I have this such special love with my husband and I know that we would live our happiest life, that kind of brought a settling feeling to my heart. It's just like, it is not the end of the world. I can be the best auntie ever to all my friends' children and my brother's children and still have children in my life, but accepting that they wouldn't be my own. Um, So I think I did come to terms with that 
quite well uh, after sitting and really like talking to myself about it basically um so we did a so we've kind of then, then we accepted that we we're like oh maybe we don't want kids like maybe we just want us for the rest okay. of our life so we kind of went through that but then going we went on holiday with Alfie and well it was only Alfie at the time and yeah. um my family and then he's such a lovely little boy like he is so special yeah also to throw in here like the friends that I have in Australia that have had children like they showed me how hard it is it is so hard (laughs) I started to think like maybe I don't want this you know like maybe I'm not uh, maybe it's just not meant to be for me like that constant like I don't know the kids are wonderful but like they don't sleep. Their, ch- their children do not sleep. And I don't know how they are still surviving. Like when I get back from, when I travel back from the UK and I have jet lag for like a week, I'm just like, this must be what it feels like to be a parent 24 seven. And like, I drive around and I'm like delirious. And I'm like, oh my God, people are literally driving around with the kids in the back of the car feeling like this all day, <laughs> all day, every day. So so we went through that as well. Yeah, but like um, having the holiday with Alfie sleeps all night and he'll just go down for his nap and he'll wake up and like and I thought that is is wonderful I know you don't know what kid you're gonna get for sure but he kind of sparked my like desire to like actually I I really would love to be a mum and Mm. I know that I would have James's support to be the mum yeah um so yeah it it goes it kind of goes through waves because at the moment we still have the chance to say no and I think that sometimes plays on it. And like, I know I'm not necessarily old, but I am 31 now. And it's kind of like, I've probably got like five years to have a child. And then I'll probably be like, I, maybe I'm not ready to go through like a newborn stage from like 36, 37 or whatever. So yeah, complex. If it makes you feel any better, Isla, my little one, she also sleeps very well. She does? Yeah, she does. Oh, good. <laughs> That's great. Um, we have other challenges, um, yeah. but in terms of sleep, we were really lucky. I mean, she's always, from like six weeks, she slept yeah. through the night. That's um, same as Alfie. Like, yeah. And I think Dusty's been really easy too. Yeah. So I, I sleep think, really well. Do you sleep? Do you sleep well? I sleep well. But also I think, and I'm not suggesting, personally, I believe that there's a correlation and I'm not suggesting that parents who, you know, let their kids just sleep in their own bed, you know, the sort of cried out method, whatever, if that works for, I genuinely believe that whatever works for each person is exactly what they should do. We co-sleep. Um, yeah. Not throughout the whole night but we like contact sleep she falls asleep on us with us yeah and then I remove myself I go to my own bed but in the middle of the night if she comes to our bed that's okay she I believe yeah. she obviously needs us and I think I think there's something to be said for that for comfort yeah for, I mean mm. I don't know about you I sleep better when my partner's in bed with me 100% yeah I, I don't even sleep if he's not there and I'm a good sleeper yeah. yeah so yeah I think that has helped we've always been really open in yeah. terms of our bed you can come cuddle you can come sleep it's a safe space you know I think there's kids sometimes it's they get like a fear response because in bed they're alone yeah yeah Um, that makes sense yeah so that's how that's how I viewed it but I really resonated with you when you said about this thing of filling a void because I didn't realize this until Isla was born but I think I had expected her to fill a void that subconsciously had sort of always been there and then she didn't (laughs) and I was like oh my god And this is where, like, this is where the podcast was born because I, I thought, oh my gosh, I thought she was going to answer questions that I'd had yeah. that I didn't even realize I'd had. And then I was like, oh, I now need to learn to whatever this void is, and this void will be different for everyone. I think for me, it was a bit of self love, self trust, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and to do that alongside trying to care for a child is is unbelievably difficult. But you do a lot of work on surrendering and trusting in the universe which personally I believe in as well talk us through that for anyone else who is you know maybe with children or even struggling with fertility 
how does that work look like for you? And what would you recommend for anyone who's really struggling with anger and letting go and accepting? Yeah, surrendering is definitely something that I had to work at um, for a long time. A control freak, for sure. But I had to learn along the way that there's many things that I can control and there's many things that I can't control. So the things that only I have control over, like I'm okay to overthink those, I'm okay to get on top of those, I'm okay to repeat those over and over again, like until I get it right, like I'm I'm good at doing that. But letting go, it is definitely hard. I think it's easier for me when I'm surrendering to the universe when someone else's actions don't necessarily contribute to the universal guide, Mm -hmm. then I can surrender. I can just be like, it's literally down to the universe. And I think I had so many experiences through my life that made sense after the event that I kind of just learned to trust the universe because when things are happening to you, you think, oh my gosh, why is this happening to me? And I think it's become quite popular now for people to say, you know, things are happening for you, not to you. And I think there's a lot to say for that. Um, there's definitely, yeah, definitely been some really hard, t- difficult times in my life where I just, I was aware of the of, of the universe for sure by then. And I'd be like, I don't understand how this can be in my plan. This is not fair. This is not right. And then months or years go by and you're like I know why that happened now Mm. and that really was the reason so I think just also experience in those moments and just being aware of the thing of the feelings that I had at that time and then the feelings that I have now allows me like I've had practice essentially in learning that the universe always does have my back even if it's really difficult to see at the time the biggest example of that was when Kong is a dog that I had in the UK who I rescued and I had him for about three years and when my ex found out that I was moving to um, Australia because I was obviously going to bring the dog here he stole him from my mom's house and I never got to see him again and I really really fought for him and that was the strongest like like he's my he was my dog he like I changed my whole life for him absolutely was the worst pain that I'd ever been through and then now I have three rescue dogs and this is just my my way of interpreting the silver lining for that but like my first two they have like severe reactivity they've they've had so many issues I know that if I didn't rescue them they've been put to sleep we've had them for about three and a half years now And if I did bring Kong over to Australia, they would never have been in my life. I wouldn't have even thought about getting another dog. Like I had my dog, you know, I didn't need another dog. I didn't think about another dog. So that's, and now I'm studying to be a dog trainer because of all of this. So I feel like as hard as that, it was just the worst experience, seriously. But as hard as that was to take, Kong is safe, you know, wherever he is. I know that he's safe and I'm sure he's loved and everything and he lives in a fine life. But yeah, it was just like that was the strongest thing. And then, you know, years after that, so Kong was a, a very special breed, a Turkish Kangal, who I, I rescued him from Spain. So I didn't even know what his breed was at the time. And they're just so hard to come by. They're so rare. And then just last year, James and I were at a concert called Rufus de Sol. And my dog trainer, who I've been working with for years on my other dogs, she messaged me a picture of this 10-week-old Turkish Kangal puppy and was like, I know that you don't might not want another dog, but I just feel like I have to share this with you. He was up for rescue, this dog. And I was like, ask James, can we please apply for him? He was like, you know, it's a lot bringing another dog into our home with Sarge, who particularly is just like, it's really stressful for him. And I was like, look, we'll put it to the universe. If we are meant to have him, we will. And if we're not, we're not. And I'm okay with that if we if our application isn't successful. So I'm, you know, a little bit drunk. This is back when I was drinking alcohol. I was a bit drunk. It's like 11 o'clock at night. And I was like writing out this professional email to this dog rescue <laughs> about how I'm going to be the most responsible dog owner, which I am. But, you know, I was drunk and I was like trying my yeah, best. Yeah. 
tried to explain the situation with my dogs at home and like I've got two cats as well like and these dogs really are meant to be like farm dogs like livestock guardians and we don't have a property yet but that's our next step with you know lots of land and animals and stuff so we got back to the hotel I'm gonna go deeper into the story because it's so relevant so at the time my mother-in-law was staying with us for a few months so Rufus Dussault was playing in Brisbane which is about an hour and a half from us normally we wouldn't spend the night out obviously because we'd get back for our dogs so she was here to look after the dogs for the night so we were like oh let's get a hotel like let's just have some us time and then so we went back to the hotel after I'd written this email and there were like 300 comments on this post like I want him I want him I want him and I thought oh you know what whatever we might not get him and then I got a phone call at 7 a.m and it was this lady and she was like hey are you interested in he was called Bamsi or she'd named him Bamsi at the time and I was like yeah yeah she was like well can you come and see him now because like I need to go out and I was like yeah where are you and she was 10 minutes from where we were staying and I was like James quick get your thing on I had a quick shower drove like we was meant to have like a slow morning have some sex like have some all this and I was like quick let's go and see him let's go and see him and then we got there and it was just this kind of old lady she was going to be a first-time dog owner she was waiting for two years on the waiting list to get him for she bought him from the breeder for like three thousand dollars and then a week after having him I think she realized that she was way out of her depth and did the right thing and was like, I can't do this and I'm going to put him up for adoption. She was like, do you want him? And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> and she was literally like, take him. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I was just gobsmacked. And then she just, we had like a bit more conversation than that in the end. And I said, like, do you want any money? Because she'd obviously done his vaccinations okay. or whatever. And um, she was like, no, honestly, I need to learn my lesson. And then she kind of looked me dead in the eyes and she was like, I really feel like I was meant to just bring him to you. And I just obviously bawled my eyes out for like days because I'd lost my nan last year and I'd just been back to England and the weight of losing Kong was just all over again because he lives like 20 minutes down the road from my mum's house. So I was like going through all of that. And then this gift in a puppy form, which was honestly, I feel like I said to James, I just feel like all my good karma in my life has just been given back to me in this very moment. And he has been the most blessing of a dog like ever. So it really was meant to be. And yeah, so that that was just like from the hardest time to one of the most joyous times for me. Um, and so now we have three dogs <laughs> and it stops there. Does it though? Does okay. it, Lauren? <laughs> in, it stops there in this house. <laughs> we have a bigger house. Yeah. Does it worry you um, bringing a child into the world, potentially bringing a child into the world with three Giant quite dogs. big um, yeah it doesn't worry me because I'm super vigilant with my dogs and in Australia mostly dogs are like outside dogs like my, my dogs do come inside quite a lot um, but it's so fine for them to be outside and they we do make sure they spend a lot of time outside as well with Rufus it doesn't worry me at all because he's so well I've had him since 10 weeks old I know all of his experiences and he's always around my friends children babies kids and he's like the most placid dog ever with Sarge and Choco I would definitely be um, super on top of everything I do trust that you know Sarge is really old now he might not even be here at that time I do trust that we'll just do it all correctly and never take risks and chances like I don't I don't agree that dogs and children should be unsupervised if a child doesn't know how to act around a dog I think that's like the most important thing when people say oh you're like can my kids come around are oh, your dogs good with kids and I'm like well my dogs don't live with children Children, so it's a new thing for them and the really important question is are your children good with dogs and if they're not that's fine we can just put the dogs outside the kids can stay inside so I don't worry because I know how to manage it properly but I do worry for a lot of people who don't manage their dogs properly and then also don't understand dogs like a lot of people have dogs who don't understand them yeah um, totally yeah also I think on that it's not just managing the dog in the nicest way possible to the kids I think it's also managing the kids I, yeah, 100%. I tell Isla off 
more often than Magnus. When they, not play, they don't really play together, but when they interact, she's more aggressive than he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the thing, and especially at her age as well, like, she's so inquisitive, she's going to be making mistakes, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why I think it's important that parents are always around supervising their children and dogs together, because a dog can take and take and take, but he has every right to snap okay. if he's being treated wrong by a child. So I just think that it's crazy for people to leave their children and dogs unattended until they know. Like I remember from about five or six years old, I really knew how to treat animals. But I don't remember before that whether I would like pull the cat's towel. So I feel like until you can really trust that your child knows how to respect your dog's or your cat's space, boundaries, where they want to be touched, not to like jump all over them, like all of this stuff, then they just shouldn't be left unattended. Like obviously I'm in the dog world now. Most children who get bit by dogs are a family pet. It's not like a random dog on the street that's just randomly attacked a child. Like it's a child that's been doing wrong in the house and the dog has finally retaliated. And then the dog gets the blame when really it's the parent that should take the blame for allowing those like situations. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, Isla, to be fair, Isla, she's quite independent. She likes her own space. She doesn't very often, you know, climb Magnus or poke him or whatever. She she used to when she was younger and like, you know, exploring him out. Yeah. yeah. But now she knows dog, whatever. And bless her, she even sometimes like she walked on his tail yesterday and she went, Oh, sorry, dog. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cute. (laughs) so cute but I know I say I know um exactly like you said I was gonna say I know that if Isla you know poked Magnus or whatever he wouldn't do anything until he does however I still discourage her from doing it because it's less about Magnus more about dogs in general because at that age they're like oh they just assume all dogs are the same which annoyingly actually a lot of humans do as well but they're not at all just like us humans aren't the same (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, exactly that. I think it's so good. I think I would never raise children in a household without pets. I think mm-hmm. animals are the most important thing a child can have around them. I grew up always having cats and dogs, and I still have cats and dogs. And yeah, I just think it's so important for that reason as well. Like you've said, like so many of my friends have never had a dog their whole life. And they just don't know how to act around dogs. You can't blame them because they haven't they haven't done that. But you're right. It's a six-year-old, seven-year-old and who's never seen or handled a cat or dog before. They're just going to do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And then they're at more chance of having, you know, getting scratched by a cat, yeah, getting 100%. bitten by a dog. Or, and then they're scared for life or something rather than understanding how to handle themselves around mm-hmm. animals and having mm-hmm. that respect apart from the fact that like also how much amazingness an animals bring to a child's life but yeah the lesson the lessons are also really important I think for child safety are you happy to talk about OnlyFans yeah okay so you work in OnlyFans (laughs) in case case (laughs) that wasn't obvious okay to set the scene how did you get into OnlyFans to set the scene so for many years I've been on Instagram doing sort of yoga handstands gymnastics and generally I think I've always shared more than that like in terms of always been as soon as stories came out I was like always chatting on my stories not always necessarily about handstands or gymnastics like I always ran my account like back in the old days of Instagram when it was all a bit different I just always shared me to to a full. I never like focused in on only handstands and flexibilities or only this. So naturally somehow managed to draw in lots of men as an audience. Uh, it was never my intention, but I've never had a percentage like lower than 80% of men male followings. I just never managed to reach the girls like as much as I tried and tried. Yeah, the um, men were always there. So after, I guess, years of having them follow me, I did sort of have a few questions early 2019 when everything was crazy for me. Like, oh, can you start an OnlyFans? And I was like, what is an OnlyFans? Like, I don't even know what that is. And I didn't even know what it was. And I actually applied to to start this OnlyFans. I figured that may, maybe I would just post more like stretching videos and stuff and they would want to like support me in that way. 
And then I actually got denied from OnlyFans because my passport was like due to run out. So my ID didn't work, which was fine. And then I just thought, oh, well, can't be bothered. So I kind of kind of started to know about it, but then couldn't be bothered. I actually remember applying for it. I was in New York with Gina, like way back. And then when I got to Australia, and I think the world started to, well, not the world, but my audience started to realize that I was like definitely single slash with a new man. The whole OnlyFans thing came up again. A lot of people were like, oh, can you start an OnlyFans now? Like, can you do the OnlyFans? So I thought, I spoke to James about it. I was like, do you think I should do this OnlyFans? And he was like, yeah, like whatever, like just do what, do whatever. And then I kind of gathered it was more than stretching videos at this point. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to be topless and we'll do these things. But like I was ready to go for it. And obviously with my plan to move to Australia and then bring my dog, I researched how much it would bring to bring to be to bring my dog and it was going to be like five thousand pounds and I genuinely didn't have it so I was like yeah I'm doing this only fans I will do anything I can to get my dog out to Australia with me so I kind of just started it on a whim basically and I hope for the best and I was on a bridging visa no no I was on a tourist visa when I was first here in Australia so technically I couldn't work like at a gym or something like what I was doing before I was coaching gymnastics and handstands and yoga and I didn't have the rights to do that here so I thought I'm just gonna have to continue with my online so I had my online guide sales but they weren't enough to cover my uh, living expenses and I was still paying a mortgage in England too because my ex took like years to let me out of that house so it was a, a lot was going on and then yeah I just started the OnlyFans because it was the only option and it took off it like really took off and I'm just like four years exactly doing it now and uh, I don't really have any plans to stop I really enjoy that side of my life I'm definitely taking a change in the way that I do things um, just naturally as I've grown and evolved as a human and learned so much like four years into the business now but overall like it's great it's really enjoyable I have super open conversations on there with most of my like I I call them my customers prefer to say that they're my fans and I believe that I have helped quite a lot of either couples or single men who then be become in a relationship like I've had some really deep detailed conversations with them on all levels like how to you know please a woman which I think is so important like just all the depths of intimacy and also just being there for quite a few people some sometimes they just want like a companion like we we have it like an online companion obviously not in person you know we girls get that from girls quite a lot we just have our little friendships and our chats and like a lot of the time they're just like, hey, what are you and James doing this weekend? And they just want to have that conversation and stuff. And they obviously also enjoy my raunchy content too. But like the messaging side of it is is also what I really enjoy. So I, yeah, I really like it. <laughs> you must get a lot of controversy. What is your stance on whether you have a daughter or a boy, assuming rightly or wrongly, whatever, that, you know, you are able to bring a child into the world? How do you think that's going to, not how it's going to work, that's an awful way to put it, because it is going to work, because, you know, you can make it work. Do you know what I'm trying to ask? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what kind of, yeah, what kind of impact? That I've had this question a million times. Yeah. Yeah. So at first... People were so judgmental, like before OnlyFans blew up and I was just doing it and people were like, but what if you have children and what are they going to think and blah, blah, blah. And it really just kind of said like, like I'm making my decisions right now on the life that I'm living right now. Mm -hmm. My children are, they don't exist yet. Okay. So currently I'm, I'm me. So that is just how it goes. And I was doing what I needed to do. And I'm so glad I did all of that. Obviously it gives us time freedom and financial stability and we're using all of that to set up for when we do have children so that we're not struggling parents like so yeah there's gonna be people that will go oh you well you've got nudes of you on the internet and I'll just be like so like it's just a nude I I'm my mom has 
like sometimes I create such good content like James is my photographer for a portion of my work that I do and I feel like I create we create such good shots I genuinely send them to my mom and I'm like look how cool this is like oh look how good this is and I'm nude like and she doesn't care she's like oh whatever good for you like that's a really good shot well done like I feel like I've grown up in a pretty open family um I told my brother that I was doing it as soon as I did it because I knew that there would like it would get back to him and I didn't want his friends to be the one to tell him so like I feel like I'll just cross that bridge if it comes but I also think about this sometimes and I feel like it's probably going to be like 15 years from now that that conversation would maybe need to be had and I know if something's on the internet it's going to stay there forever but like what are the chances of a 50 like someone pulling there's going to be it's going to be crazy 15 years from now maybe everything's going to be like what's it called like AI porn or like it's just we don't even know what's going to happen in 15 years so I I just don't really bother about it if I had to have that conversation with my children I would just explain like that 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 is what I did at the time and and that's that like yeah deal with it like that's my decision that I was making and I as long as I'm okay with it we're not hurting anyone through the last couple years we've gone through some pretty tragic events here in Australia with the floods and all of this stuff like we were the ones that were able to help we were the ones donating to places we were the ones taking the boat and rescuing people like yes I'm a sex worker but I also do really fucking good things in life because of my job allows me to do that so I'm just, I'm not embarrassed about it. So I think that's why I won't, like, I won't struggle with that conversation. I do sometimes think about, oh, what if I have a daughter and she wanted to do something like yeah. that? So I would just make sure, obviously, I'm glad I've got experience in it. So I've got knowledge in the world. And I would just make sure she did it really safely. Like, I do it really safely. I'm not, you know, meeting anyone. It's like purely online. I have super good boundaries with, I don't really have to have them, to be honest, like, Generally, my consumers are just really nice. But like, I think I started it when I was more mature and older. Like, I don't think that 18-year-olds should be doing it. I think it's way too young. I don't think that sort of 21-year-olds should maybe even be doing it easier where they're like possibly going to be doing things that they don't want to do just because they see money dangling in front of them. Um, So I feel like having those boundaries around like if someone says, you know, can you do this for me? And it's not something you would normally do or want to do, but you just do it because they're going to give you $200. That's the kind of conversations I'd be able to have with my daughter and be like, no, that is, isn't what you do. Cause at the end of the day, everything you do is going to be somewhere. Um, someone's going to access it. And like, I think it's a good way to teach boundaries to someone when they have to make those decisions for themselves and like turn down money. But it's, if you flip it into a lot of people go to work in a job they hate every single day to get money to live. So it's like teaching them the boundary to like, don't do what you don't want to do just to get money, actually do things that you want to do and enjoy to get your, you know, currency to live in this world. So I don't know, I I, I think I'll I'll be fine when that comes. Do you see yourself doing it like for a good few years still? Yeah, I do. I think that um, so I'm actually building a foot page now, because we are hoping for a pregnancy. And I don't think I would share my pregnant belly like a lot of creators do and there is a market for it but I think that's a boundary that I wouldn't go across I don't know until I'm feeling it but like I just don't feel like I would be comfortable doing that so I'd probably I'm changing the way I do things in case I have a pregnancy I mean I wouldn't mind doing boobs if they grow you know real real nice and juicy (laughs) I'd definitely make use of them but yeah so we're going to be changing a few things just in case we have pregnancy and then I'm building the foot page and that is going really well so I'm only like three months in and it's going well the fans are really nice they genuinely just want to see like your feet and like have the conversations again and it's a nice part of the industry and that is something I can do when I'm pregnant you know because my belly's not in it so So I'm trying to think ahead and I'm also a creative. So I genuinely love the creations. So it's, I wouldn't want to stop it fully, but I would change the way that I create stuff. I also understand that I probably won't have, I mean, not probably, definitely won't have the time to invest that I do now in it. So like I do invest a lot of time into the business. 
So if we did have a baby, my time will be elsewhere. So it's just about restructuring the business so that it still works. But also like I'm learning the whole dog training and stuff. But I just, I can't imagine that would be the breadwinner money. Uh, that would, That's going to be like my love and my passion. So who knows where it's going to take me. But yeah, I, I definitely want to continue for as long as I can. Do you think it's made you a more accepting person doing OnlyFans and more like aware of your body? And should you have a girl um, more able to cope with certain things I will give you a example my little one I've I've spoken about this on the podcast um it's much less common in girls but it's quite common in boys she humps a lot oh does she a lot (laughs) and she like humps and grunts and it got to the point I called a health visitor because I don't want to discourage her right yeah it it feels good it's a comfort thing so I don't want to discourage her and build shame around it but also I'm just trying to watch a film (laughs) yeah and do you know and it's annoying because to her it's not sexual but to us it is and the health visitor to be fair was amazing and she just said that's fine definitely don't discourage her just maybe encourage her into her bedroom and that's tell exactly her- what I was about to say to you yeah encourage her to take her own private space and so that's what we do now there's this particular teddy that she does it with and so now the teddy only lives in the bedroom whereas we used to take the teddy out and sometimes she would do it out and we're like mm. yeah <laughs> So now the teddy lives in the bedroom and she's starting to understand that that's something that she's more than welcome to do, but, yeah. you know, in her private space. Um, do you think OnlyFans has built a bit of um, resilience towards, like, dealing with things like that if you were to have a girl? It's definitely, uh, it's just opened my eyes to so much um, and it's educated me in so many areas. And obviously I'm, like, having conversations with so many different people that I just wouldn't normally normally have conversations especially of this kind with um so yeah it's definitely um, educated me in so many ways and I think that the whole like separate to OnlyFans the whole talk about sex and orgasms and self-love and all of that has it is opening up between all of us when you just said that and with the teddy like I remember being at a sleepover with one of my friends we were like nine and she was like oh my god have you ever done this and she literally did hump the I'm sure there was a teddy there and like obviously gave herself an orgasm which mm-hmm. we didn't know was at the time she's like it just feels so nice and then I can sleep after and I was like oh that's a good idea like you know there was nothing more or nothing less about it and she was like yeah I literally do this every night and it like gets me to sleep and it feels really nice and like now I know what that is and yeah. why she did that and why she slept well and all this stuff and it's just like it's it's so like not spoken about I totally between, agree. Between, between people. And I actually remember having an orgasm when I was in primary school, standing in the dinner queue. <laughs> I, was just, I was just standing there and I was like, and the line was moving in front of me and whatever was happening felt so good. I didn't want to move. So I just kind of stood there until it was over. And I was just like, wow, I love it when that happens. Yeah. And then I carried on my day. I did, and it wasn't, it wasn't sexual. Nothing had like mm-hmm. turned me on. It just, my body just did it. Like I was just standing there. I wish that happened to me nowadays. Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's way more effort, but yeah, like I think that it's important. I would find it really easy to discuss this with children or teenagers, adults, my nan, and like anything. Like I think that it's a bodily desire or just a bodily function. Like so many times I've woken up through the night having an orgasm. And I'm like, mm. fuck yes, that felt great. <laughs> and, and there was nothing else to it other than my body just decided to <laughs> do that for me. Yeah, that's so good that you grew up in that sort of environment. I don't feel like I did grow up in that environment at no. all, but I'm trying. I want Isla to grow up in that environment, you know? Yeah. And I actually remember I was talking to with my family um, twice a month. We do like big Zoom calls. We started it during COVID and we've just kept it up because we're all like That's really nice. Yeah. Um, and I was telling my auntie, my cousin and my mom who are in the group call on the day oh. that I'm thinking of buying a potty for Isla because she's becoming much more aware of her body when she pees. And also when I pee, she grabs toilet roll and she wants to wipe my vulva. And yeah. I admitted that I let her do it. 
and they all said that it was wrong. And I was like, it's not, ah, I just, I felt so annoyed that, I, and I, felt, I think I felt annoyed at myself for admitting it to them because I knew that they would react like that. But also I wanted to like bring a bit of normalcy to it, you know, because yeah. it's, it's not sexual. She's not like no. robbing yeah. my clitoris, like fuck off. <laughs> she's just, she's just helping you. Like she, in her eyes, she was just like, oh, this is what mommy does. I'm going to help her. Yeah, she does it to me. She helps me. So I'm going to do it to her. And also, I think, like, personally, there's hair on my vulva. Like, and I'm not, I just think it's good. No, I think it's good for her to see and explore. And yeah, you know, um, yeah, it really, it really is. Like, I think that the most important thing when raising girls is to have these conversations so that you can also educate them in a way that says, like, I know that you this is your personal you do this in your personal space with yourself do never do this with uh you know especially when they're sort of growing up towards teenagers never share this with like an adult that's a man like you know maybe tell your like aunties or whatever if she wanted to but like just you that you are now aware of that and you can also make sure she knows that this is a it's totally okay but it's a private thing that's for her and she does not share that with any older men or any boys of any kind in fact I'm sorry guys if you listen to this podcast but like (laughs) I genuinely don't trust anyone but my husband yeah I think that is really important if if women mums are afraid to even address that and they just go oh that's wrong and they and they just shut it down then you're actually endangering your child because they might want to share it with someone and it might be the wrong person and they're not going to know any better so I think that you're doing totally the right thing yeah I totally agree you are my last question well actually I have one more but out of curiosity I think we both have similar views on this uh body hair yeah I sort of I don't shave but like I do sometimes and that's also okay (laughs) do you know what I mean like I'm not like yeah what's your view on that and if you were to whether you have a girl or a boy actually because I think it's also even it's interesting quickly going back to like Isla wiping me would I do that if it was my son I'm not sure that I would what are your thoughts yeah I don't think I could have them until I'm in that moment to be honest but if you think but also if you think about it this is just my head you wipe Isla probably Mm -hmm. and that's probably why she's done it to you because yeah. she thinks, oh, well, mum helps me, so I'll help mum. But you're not going to wipe a boy's willy. So I he guess. probably isn't going to want to wipe yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like she's, that she's, she's learned that from you mm. I mean I'm not a child psychologist or anything no. but agreed I imagine that she's only had that thought it's because like you know if you kiss her she's gonna kiss you back or if you give you know kids like are learning how to share like at this moment aren't they like so if you give her some of your drinks she might give you some of her drink kind of thing yeah it's just that is essentially all it is you wipe her nudie I'm saying no no that's true you wipe her vulva <laughs> And she wants to wipe yours to yeah. help you out kind of um, thing. But you I, won't do that with a boy. No, I do feel glad. It's funny because originally when I first fell pregnant, I wanted a boy first. But I'm I'm actually really, really glad that I had a girl and that I'm like dipping my Learning toe. Learning all these things. Yeah, with with a gender that I know. Um, yeah. And I know ugh, nowadays, whatever, you treat them the same. I believe there is a difference. Yeah, same. Right, right you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, a huge difference. I, I would agree, but it feels like you literally, you can't say that anymore. Um, but I'm grateful that I'm getting to learn with a girl because I yeah. know a girl's body because I know my body. Okay, going back to the hair, what is your sort of, your girl comes to you and is like, mommy, I want to shave. How do you think you would deal with that? Because I know you're quite open. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You don't shave your legs. I mean, you are blonde, but like whatever. Yeah, yeah I'm so blonde. No, I would literally say shaving really hurts. So yeah, that's you for a wax. It's so itchy. It's so itchy. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like so anti, anti-shaving. anti I would just uh, like if they really wanted to get rid of their body hair, then I would say let's go for a wax. And that's what they wanted. Yeah. Sure. Did, did you get taken for a wax when you were young? did your mum take you no my mum did teach me how to shave though yeah um she yeah definitely didn't get taken for a wax I don't think that she waxes ever 
but yeah I shaved my legs for a while and then I think when I got to uni I stopped shaving my legs because I literally just couldn't be bothered I was just like (laughs) I'd like do it on the special occasion and I think when you have a boyfriend you don't like you just get comfortable you don't have to have like shaved legs all the time or well you think you don't think you have to so yeah I stopped that and I kind of always have had left my natural hair on my around my pussy because I'm sorry I say that because of only no 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 yeah um because it's so much more comfortable for me yeah I agree. and I also have never had a boyfriend that cares no, like I've never either. had a boyfriend that was like, "Oh, can you shave?" Like I, I've, I've literally never, never had to experience that. So that was good. Like I have definitely waxed there many times, but obviously with a wax, you grow it out in mm-hmm. between before you wax it. So I've always kind of had both there. I'm like super lazy with it now, but mine annoyingly grows like dead straight. So I literally have to like cut it with scissors, <laughs> like under my lips because so otherwise funny. it comes down into like a little mohawk like literally like I have a little mohawk but sometimes if a customer has requested a waxed uh, vulva for content then I will go and get a wax but honestly that is like also men love the hair I've found like um, now I'm in that industry yeah I agree um I think I don't know where it came from that we have this idea that we should be like clean shaven everywhere I think it came from Pornhub like from the yeah yeah so awful, true, actually awful porn that was at, with childlike porn that's actually Ooh. what it came from and then sadly young that's why I also love what I do because it's so real and authentic and healthy consumption so yeah I think that Sadly, guys just go to Pornhub and then everything that they see as teenagers, even though it's not meant to be, but it is, or they're teen-like. Like, I think the number one searched, the Pornhub search bar is teen porn. Oh. And that makes me feel sick to my stomach. Yeah, same. And also probably just the body shame that was around women for so long. Like, it just no one, no one cared. But yeah, if it, I prefer a guy, like, as natural as it can get. Like, I do not like looking at, shaved areas on a guy like it just I just don't think it's attractive it's like chicken skin (laughs) that's so funny that's so true and it's not comfortable to like ride either like I did date a guy once that would always have it shaved and I was like I can't come because you're like shave like stubble is hurting me yeah it's gross then you get a nice little bushy bit to sit on oh it's great I love it (laughs) little comfort cushion (laughs) yeah fully 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 is that is so funny um okay my last question is I ask everyone that comes on the podcast for a top tip so from your point of view for someone who is struggling with fertility what is your top tip and it can be something you know mindset spiritual or it can be something tangible that you've literally tried and found it really helpful whatever you want what would you say to any woman I think the most important thing is that you keep living your life where you are right now like it's okay to feel like sad some days or it's okay to feel like the desire that you want children and stuff but at the end of the day you don't have them right now so you have to be present because otherwise you're just going to drive yourself insane and it's so taxing you just yeah you've got to keep living your life that you're living because otherwise you know fertility journey sometimes it just takes years for some people like and you hear of these stories where people like oh you know we were trying for 10 years we did seven rounds of IVF we did this that and the other and we've adopted a child and then Mm. they had a natural pregnancy that was just perfect like I just think that it can be so consuming and you don't deserve to be like so like saddened by something Mm. and like it's so hard because it is real and it hurts but like at the same it's only one portion of your life and it might seem like it feels like your whole life but you still have a partner hopefully um I know some people are trying for babies without partners or whatever but like most people have partners they still have their work they still have their friends their family hopefully they have some pets like they still have all of these other factors in their life that are amazing and bring them happiness mm-hmm. so just to focus on the good things and don't get yourself lost in that one one part of the life basically what sort of practices made you really able 
to surrender, let go and not feel this anger and frustration towards, you know, not being able to conceive. Like at home, did you do mindset work, meditation, yoga, like how did that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, you know about Ashtanga yoga. Yeah, yeah. So that obviously is has always been pretty helpful. I do still practice, not religiously, like not six days a week or anything, but that yoga practice actually for, for many years before I was even trying, I think it prepared me a lot for surrendering and just like showing up every day, no matter how you feel and to still commit to yourself and doing it. So that's like a whole big thing you can do as like a movement practice. But I think um, just making sure that you wake up and be like grateful to be alive amen we take so much for granted don't we and like yeah and I say that and it sounds fluffy so if anyone's listening and you really are in the depths of the trenches you know it like it's so hard you know I've been there and people are like oh you know you've got a house and I'm like fuck off (laughs) yeah so I really get it It sounds really fluffy but yeah practicing gratitude practicing gratitude yeah just Um, gratitude it's like it can it can really spiral upwards if you really practice it I think like also being able, able to recognize if your body needs rest, if your body like if your body needs certain foods and stuff. I think doing practices that can make you become more self-aware is yeah. always so beneficial. Also, I took a massive dose of magic mushrooms like years ago and I've done it many times since, but like it changed my life. Like I went through the biggest journey and I feel like I died and was reborn that day. And I sort of saw the world for what it is and me for who I am. And, um, I probably do that like once a year now, just take a nice huge dose of magic mushrooms and have just repeat that experience. And it's, you literally just do stripped of all your ego. You feel like everything and nothing at the same time. And then you realize that like there is nothing, you just have to exist here. So you may as well exist having fun than exist not having fun. Yeah. I'm interested because you described yourself earlier on as a control freak and Mm. isn't doing magic mushrooms like completely the opposite. Um, I'm not well versed. I've been mushrooms once. I was in Amsterdam, like a tourist, whatever, but I really struggled to surrender I was like, Did you? I was like trying to control it. And therefore, oh, didn't have did, the best time. no, I did not have the best experience. So I maybe mean, you it, was in like the wrong setting. Yeah. Maybe. Were you in the, in the city? Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not the best. Okay. Lovely. So I'm gonna good question. Out. I'm going to come over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you can show the me first the way. Time, the first time I ever done it, I was 22 and yeah, always been a control freak, but I was with four Canadian doctors. So I trusted that if anything went wrong, that they would, I just put my trust in them. And we had the best day of like, it was so fucking great. Yeah, it's kind of been fine. But I always get that little nervous feeling because I think when you start going into like plant medicine, the first few times I done it, it was literally just fun and happy and like just an amazing experience like it's like you see things for the first time again like every flower is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen and you're just like wow this is amazing life is amazing like look at the beauty around us kind of thing so and then as I got a bit older maybe as I went through more things in my life the lessons came through my experience so sometimes they were a bit of a harder journey but always came out like always was a really positive ending but sometimes it can like make you bring up things uh that you needed to so I think we did them in 2020 me and James were in Bali and we asked for a really strong dose strong dose and it was like way strong um and I didn't (laughs) I didn't do it for two years after this trip because I didn't feel like I needed to because this trip was so strong that I learned everything I needed to in that moment but there was a moment where like it was you know hitting me as such and I was like uncontrollably laughing but not not funny laughing like I was like "Ah," like really laughing from the depths of my stomach and I just felt like something came up and out and as soon as it was released this emotion that was like then the whole trip was the most beautiful thing in the world so I don't know I still don't really know what I think this was actually just as uh, Kong was taken from me and I was dealing with all of that 
And I feel like it was, the lesson was like, you have to just write this out. Like you have got to write the most uncomfortable feelings and then everything is going to be beautiful. Yeah. And like, I, and I, yeah, I was just like sitting there like laughing and I was like, babe, like I'm not, this isn't funny. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not laughing because I'm feeling good. I'm just, all of this emotions was coming out. But then, yeah, as soon as it came out, like I was like, we had hours of just pure bliss and amazingness and all of this stuff. And then, yeah, I really didn't take them again for a couple of years after that. And then took them again in February. We was out on a boat and I was like, yeah, let's go. Like I was with all my friends. We was in this, like all we had was the sea, the beach, the trees, the water, like that was it. No one else around, like the best place to do it, fully in, immersed in nature. And it was just so beautiful. And yeah, and then like this, we had the most beautiful sunset ever. And I felt like the sun was setting for like five hours. And I feel like it just shows you the pure beauty of this world. So when things get really hard, it's easy to forget how much beauty there is here. So sometimes I feel like the fact that I've done quite a few trips with magic mushrooms and I got to have those experiences can like on a soul level I obviously know and have seen the beauty in the world so not that I'm recommending anyone to go and do that but if you are (laughs) inquisitive or about it then there are mushroom ceremonies that you can seek out so you know that you're doing it in the right setting and you usually have like a trip sitter it's called so they're there to give you sort of drink and food and it does it never like it's not um how do I explain it? It's not like a drunk or anything or out of control or that. It's just like feelings that you have to experience and then visions that you get to experience. So um, there's people that can like keep you grounded, but I've I've never really had to have that. Like that one really, really big dose that I took, I just had to let the laughter come out. Like I didn't have any other choice. Like it was happening whether I liked it or not. That's Um, so interesting about the trip sitter though. And like, that's so good that that's, a thing you can do a mushroom ceremony and there's someone to I guess like support you and anchor you just in case you need it yeah just in case you need to like talk things through like because you know sometimes people just sort of go really internal and they just sit there and they'll think about things um or some people just really need to share what they're feeling so the the trips they don't take anything so they're like fully um present there and they just sit and listen and can have the conversation so it is there's definitely good ways that you can do it where you're not just going to take mushrooms out at your home and see what happens yeah not me yeah (laughs) as soon as we finish this call I'm gonna be like mushroom ceremony Essex (laughs) (laughs) yeah no they are they are good (laughs) amazing oh Lauren thank you so so much uh before we go if I'm just going to send people to you. I hope that's okay. But if anyone is interested in whether it be your OnlyFans or chatting to you about anything that we've spoken, can I send them your way? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. What is your Instagram handle, your OnlyFans, everything? So it's Lauren and Kennedy underscore. And then my OnlyFans is OnlyFans.com forward slash Lauren K. Amazing. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much for your openness and just everything that you've shared with us today. Thank you. I am sending me on. Oh, you're welcome. I'm sending you so much love and have a good evening. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Bye, my love. Ciao. Bye.